1: everyone you're tuned to community radio 3CR time is just after 7:30 and of course it's sunday morning and time for the 3CR gardening show my name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to welcome, after a long absence, um, John Arnott. Good morning, John.
2: Good morning, Pam. How are you going? Good. It has been a long absence. It has. I well, reckon, you've well, been on long service leave. Well, I've been scheduled to come on. And, and then each, other things a, have cropped up. Each time up. I've yes. had a clash. I know. Um, so, and, I, and I wasn't scheduled to come on today, but here I am. I know. Well, it's wonderful. <laughs> and, no, <laughs> it's no, it's great. A, Lovely to be here. <laughs> lovely to be here.
1: It just shows how busy you are. You're in demand, John.
2: I I'm not so sure about that, <laughs> just it just coincidental clashes. Yeah, well, yeah. anyway, yeah. It, it's great you're yeah. here. Yeah, great. Nice to be here.
1: And we're going to have a little chat about your
2: um, great trip. Yeah. Who? Yeah. So I've um, been cycling in Europe oh, a couple of months ago. It was wonderful. Excellent. Yeah.
1: Okay, first up, I've also got to say a big warm welcome to Tim Sansom. Good morning, Tim. Morning,
3: Pam. How are you?
1: Good. And, Tim, you're no longer with Australian Ecosystems, but you're now with PMA. That's which is, correct. Uh, Plants yep. Management Australia.
3: That's right. About uh, eight weeks into the new role. Okay. So, right so you're still finding your feet? I'm still finding my feet, yeah. So, I'm now I'm working as the marketing manager for Plants Management Australia. Okay. Plants PMA. Uh, Many listeners may have seen the little moniker of PMA on plant labels around the the traps. PMA have been around for about 25 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, a PMA are an advocate for plant breeders, so taking the plant breeders' creation, their invention, and um, realising its potential. Right. So my role... Protecting it? Protecting it, yeah. yeah. So this is, it's an interesting little, um, space in horticulture. Yeah. The, the world of protected varieties, protecting yeah. intellectual property. That's people's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, plant protection, plant breeders' rights, yeah. which began in Australia about 25 years ago, mm. and PMA started on the back of that. Okay. Um, and it's, it's an interest for me, it's fascinating. I've got so much to learn about how this world works, because it's not one I've been familiar with in horticulture sure. previously. But to find out how, Someone gets a plant, maybe it could be a ten fifteen year long breeding program in their own backyard or yeah. somewhere, and then okay, here it now it is. This is what the plant is, and how do we get it into the market how do we How do we get numbers up? How do we promote it? How do we give it a name? How do we protect it how do we how do we realize that mm. um, and there's some wonderful stories about of plant material out there it's sure sort of, it sort of follows on the the lexicon of um plant breeding that goes back. Many, many generations, hundreds of years. And, and ornamental mm-hmm. horticulture is always, I mean, this, we all know, we all see plant names everywhere. at least funky sort of names like Miss Muffet and all these sorts of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we have of, a long the, discussion yeah, about I know, labels. Yeah, I know, I know. But these plants themselves, it's the story behind the plants that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll talk and a bit later. And the breeders themselves too, I oh, imagine. Absolutely. The breeders absolutely. Quite a few characters. Have, People, you know, and and boffins, people that are right into their craft, and you know, in particular streams of of breeding, crossing, hybridising, long term projects. Long term projects. Some of these, you know, trees and shrubs, they're not a quick turnaround.
2: No, these are lifetime investments of of activity. That's right. I remember a fellow when I was standing at the Geelong Botanic Gardens. There was a because there was a collection of pelargoniums there, and there was a pelargonium breeder, um, and he was he was after he was breeding um a yellow pelargonium and he, he I mean he bred lots of yellow pel- pelargoniums but he there were p- these particular traits that he was looking for and that was his quest yeah. but that was a that was a lifelong mm. ambition to 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 produce um the, the perfect yellow pelargonium and you um,
3: might not ever you might get that
2: or maybe not even maybe not and,
3: but it might take that lifetime and get one, and then there 's one plant that 's an achievement, yeah, what happens to it then yeah I that 's the challenge i think yeah well yes. that 's where i 'm sitting with p m a exactly what do you do with these
2: wonderful inventions yeah it 's um, interesting we talk you know we talk plant conservation and, and maybe a little later I might talk about care for the rare, which is a species conservation program, but that cultivated plant conservation is you know it 's absolutely legitimate yeah um, and I guess that's what Plant Trust Australia is about, or the, the old GPCWA. Mm-hmm. It's about conserving yeah, good, um, cultivars. You know, good cultivars and in perpetuity. It that's is right.
3: The actual, it's the real notion of what a cultivar is, the literal meaning of a cultivar, yeah, a cultivated, cultivated variety. variety yeah. These are things that they legitimately exist. Yeah. They aren't, they're not part of our wild landscapes necessarily, right. but they're definitely part of our day-to-day garden landscapes that's and part right. of our gardening, mm. gardening experience. And but so
1: many of them have disappeared over the years. Yeah, completely. Good ones. Yes.
3: There is, there is a, and there is, and this goes to that concept of plant naming and uh, horticultural trade, there is a kind of a thirst for new all the time, and the new seems to replace the old. Mm. But you know, good quality plants stick around. I mean, it's an interesting conversation we have internally now at PMA is that a, a PBR on a plant lasts for 20 years. So you want it to last for 20 years, you don't want it to to land and then disappear. Mm. So this thirst for new is always in this tension with good quality plant material. Um, And good quality plants will always outlast something that's that's shiny and new
2: and then disappears. Yeah. I I often wonder with plant breeding, just because you can maybe, whether whether you should. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 True. Isn't that the same with any form of science or meddling? No, that's true. That's true. I mean, we've been dabbling... um, we are looking at changing the regodias and the regodia circles down at um, the to Gardens. Oh, okay. Uh, so we've been looking at a whole bunch of different grey plants. Um, and uh, you're looking at some cultivator varieties mm. and you know there's some I mean there's some really exquisite Australian plant cultivars mm. that are, that are on the market. And it seems that more and more and more are coming yeah. thick and fast with Australian plants. There, there seems yeah. to be a real boom in Yeah, I, well, I think
3: it, there's a maturity around it. And, and this, for me, I'm learning this too because I'm learning who's doing what and, and, and what cultivars exist and where they're going with new breeding. Mm. But definitely, you see a lot of – well, there's a huge demand in the landscape trade too, yep. um, so, which is similar to what you're talking about yep. down at yep. Cranbourne, is that looking for robust plants that can ful- fulfil a niche without having – you know, they've got to be within a certain size range or they've got to have a certain colour yep. palette. Yep. So there is a real, uh, a real thirst for, I guess, cultivated, cultivated varieties that are more compact or they might, not, they might be bit taller, but they suit different needs. Sure. They're, they're known quantities. But traits, a- yeah. attributes, yeah. mm. breeding for attributes. Yes.
2: Yeah. Our, our cultivar garden is a really interesting garden. It's, it's, it's plants in rows. And the original intent was that, you know, the, the design intent from the designers was, that to, was it to look a little bit like, um, you know, fields of tulips. Okay. You know, know. You know yes. the Tesla's lines yes. of tulips yeah. in, the, in the field. It, it's, that's the sort of the aesthetic that we're looking to create. Um, and, you know, it's starting to get there as a, we, as, as a landscape.
3: Well, you get that through uniformity or through, through that design of structure. The, uniformity. Yeah.
2: And therein lies the challenge. Yeah. Because if you have a, a line of plants... The line is as only good as the line is only as good as its weakest link. Yeah. The one yes. that's, missing. The one that's, yeah. that's <laughs> missing. That's right. Yeah, so you can have <laughs> it's Murphy's Nights, law. Yeah.
1: One's gonna die or one's gonna exactly. turn yellow or exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hedges. Yeah, hedges. Hedges, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: So <laughs> and this, this entire garden is is a garden of lions. Yeah. Um, so it's you know, it's not it's not a very resilient landscape in terms of it's quite fickle. Yes, um, and it needs and attention. Lots of input, yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's starting to get there as a landscape. And, and they're all cultivated varieties. Mm. The, 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 there was a thought that the garden could be quite dynamic, um, and as new things came, we'd be able to you know change the line with something else. And uh, look, it's what we're doing by default. Mm. As, as things senesce and yeah. you know, start to go backwards, um, so. But it's a really interesting garden, which is you know dedicated to the display of, of cultivated varieties. And
3: well, and, and there's an interesting discussion in this too around how we choose traits, like aesthetic traits. And trial them in a, in a display garden yep, like that. Yep. But it's also about what what traits we're selecting for future climate in our in our garden Exactly, mm. yes. You know, we're, we're seeing some pretty dramatic, dramatic shift in, in yep. climate and gardening. If a plant's got a, let's say it's got a 20-year life cycle in PBR, that's just from a commercial level, but if yes. it's got a longer life cycle in a garden... Mm. What's it going to be in ten years? You know, what are we looking at for the traits that we're choosing? Things that don't melt in forty degrees. Mm. You know, there's, there's things that will take high levels of solar radiation. That yeah, things that'll, you know, and then they're going to get a huge impact of big storms at times. Yeah, they're yeah. going, to, you know, this, these are the sorts of things we're going to have to look at. How, yeah. how do these plants work? Mm. Yeah, um, and that's a that's a challenge for breeders and, and yeah. selectors and specifiers.
2: H- has anyone come in and talked? the Melbourne Gardens landscape succession strategy on this on the show? Um,
1: it's, it's been mentioned in passing, right. but not to any depth, no. Yeah, that'd
2: yeah, be a really good topic for yes. someone, someone to cover. Mm. I might see Chris Cole might be up for it at some stage. Chris would be great. Yeah, he would yeah, be. Yeah. But, so that's, that's that um, looking at, at sort of landscape scale. Mm. Um, and and, and, uh, and, and level of trees and shrubs, like mm. long term, 50, 100 years plus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. And then the Melbourne Gardens will look like the Melbourne Gardens in... In 50, 60, 70 years' time, it'll still mm. have the same aesthetic character, but I'll almost guarantee what that the species composition it. are going to be Will completely be different. Quite different, yeah. yes, I'm and sure of it. So it's a really good body of work, which is which is actually asking that question. Well, there's a bit
3: mm. going on in that space. I've, yeah. There's a University of Sydney, New South Wales, um, have a which plant where program, oh, yeah. which is funded by the Green Cities. Right. Uh, I sit on the the advisory panel for right. that, and it's talking about they're actually doing. They're doing lab tests on, on plants right. where they drought them for five days okay. plus. well, They'll drought them for a couple of weeks yeah. and then put them in a heat stress environment. Okay. You know, a, a, they'll replicate a heat wave. Right. So they're getting some quite empirical data nice. in, in a very controlled setting yeah. on how some plants, and, a, and, a, and they're trying to do, they've done about 100 plants, they want to do 500, okay. and then they want to extrapolate that across. Right. Plants that are commonly used in, in landscapes. Okay. A,
2: where, where, where is this?
3: It's at University of Sydney. University of Sydney. Okay. Um, in uh, Western University of Sydney, uh, and it's called Which Plant Where? Okay. Uh, and if cool. the the aim of it is actually to produce uh, an app or at least an interactive web tool right. that will help specifiers and selectors to future. Uh, f- on future choices for, cool. for plant material.
2: That's and that's a website and things like that. So? Oh, it, it, it's it's still it's a five or six year project okay. and it's only a year in okay. so we're still yeah.
3: very much I mean yeah. i sit on the advisory panels on there once I've been there twice. Right. There's a lot of academics working on it all the time. Okay. But they've got the, their aim is to have a full um, interactive web tool which will be down the track. What a resource. Yeah. 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 Ambitious right. yeah. an ambitious project. Yeah. Very But. but thinking about that whole kind of landscape succession and and plants of the future.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Before we get any more uh, deeper into the yeah, our so we, we dived in there, didn't we? <laughs> yeah.
3: We didn't have um, the normal. Let's talk about the weather. Cool. <laughs> Welcome, Tim.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it proves you're all awake and uh, with yeah, it, no, it this morning. That's yeah. great. Um, I must get to some community announcements before I start mine. Tim, you've got one you want yeah, to mention?
3: Yeah, um, I just wanted to give a shout out to Garden World in uh, down in Springvale Road. Um, Brayside, I think it is. Garden World have their spring launch this weekend, this weekend. Um, look, and I just wanted to say that I think that, uh, look, a big shout out to all the independent garden centres around Melbourne. You know, I think places like Pointons, mm. Acorn, Garden World, Bayside, The Greenery, Boyne Art and Garden. I think these guys have a wonderful influence on our horticultural landscape in, in, in Victoria or yeah, in Melbourne. definitely. You yep. know, these are the influences. These are the people that, that, that embrace, um, New material, old material, the the sort of good garden plants that are out there. Uh, So, yeah, shout out to Garden World. If you're up for it today, I think it'd be a great way to go out and get involved in spring. Obviously, we've had some lovely spring weather this last couple of days. Uh, Today, they've got some talks on. They've got uh, Malcolm Warrington from Oasis talking about seedlings and tomatoes. Uh, They have Sophie from PGA who's doing a talk about shrubs. Uh, And Matthew Patterson from Clyde Wholesale Nursery talking about roses. So those are at uh, 11, 1 and 2 p.m. respectively today. And they've also got a bunch of kids' activities and things going on there at Clifton's Corner. Yep. They've got an animal farm, balloon twisters, face painters, those kind of things. Excellent. Cool. Yeah, so spring launch. Absolutely. We're almost spring and they're launching into it.
1: Yep, fair (laughs) enough. Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, I'll I'll get to a few of mine. Um, First up, coming up next Wednesday, 29th of August, uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens have got a plant sale on. This is running from 12 noon through to 3 uh, p.m. Uh, you can choose from a selection of native and exotic, deciduous and evergreen trees and shrubs, perennials, bulbs, succulents, indoor and food plants. Now, the location is outside the Student Union building. Parking is on Yarra Boulevard. Uh, Millway's map there is 45. Um, and uh, there's no car access to the campus, so you do need to park in Yarra Boulevard. Um, Payment will be by cash only, though, uh, for that one. So that's coming up next Wednesday, Friends of Burnley plant sale, 12 through till 3. Now, another plant sale that's on, uh, this is an Australian native plant sale, uh, coming up uh, next Saturday, the 1st of September, 9 through till 3. It's taking place at Wilson Botanic Park out in Berwick, 668 Princess Highway in Berwick there. They'll have a huge range of native and indigenous plants. Most stallholders are cash only. And uh, there'll also be uh, food uh, stalls there as well. So that's uh, Saturday, 1st of September, 9 through to 3 out at Wilson Botanic Park in Berwick.
2: Wattle Day, National Wattle Day as well, 1st of September. Okay, yeah. right. <laughs> so go and buy a wattle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that means that means there'll be the big wattle festival up in Hurstbridge which correct. always takes place correct on wattle day there we go yeah so great excellent all right now uh talking about uh things opening up um, open gardens victoria are launching their spring open garden season and this is coming up next weekend uh and to to open it uh, they're having uh, a big open garden at Musk Cottage Garden. This is Rick Eckersley's um, inspirational garden. It'll be open both September 1st and the 2nd and it may be one of the last opportunities to see the garden because there are plans to sell the property. So it's a four hectare property. It's on the Mornington Peninsula. Uh, it's been a pet project of Rick's for um, the past 10 years and uh, it's a garden, the result uh, of which ignores the latest fashion trends. It's tough and sustainable and feels uniquely Australian, if we can clarify what that means. That sounds
2: on trend.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. does All mean, of it is on trend. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've been to that garden. It's a beautiful garden. It yes, garden. it's yeah. a
1: great garden and it sounds like it may be the last chance to go and see it yeah. because if the new owners don't wish to open That's fair enough. Um, So uh, the opening promises to be a great festive day out for the whole family. There'll be coffee, refreshments, produce and plant sales available as well. And proceeds from the open garden will support Global Gardens of Peace, which is an Australian charity that aims to plan, design and deliver gardens to support vulnerable communities around the world. Now, the address of Musk Cottage is 371 Musk Creek Road in Flinders. It's uh, both Saturday and Sunday. It's open 10 through to 4.30. Entry is $10. Children under 18 are free. Students, $5. And uh, as I say, there'll be uh, plant sales and food, uh, coffee, etc. there as well on the day. Now, um, our good friends at Open Gardens Victoria have uh, given us one free double pass. Uh, to go and have a look at Musk Cottage. So the first uh, listener who likes to uh, phone in on nine four one nine zero one double five, they can uh, have that uh, free double pass, and it will be posted out to them. Awesome. Yes, that great. Global
2: Gardens of Peace. The the. Um the charity. the charity. Yes. What a great project. Mm. Yes. That's a really big, I mean, that's a, it's an extraordinary project. It is. I think Andy Ladwell is involved. Yeah. As, yes. Yeah. He and is. And this is the, the garden in Gaza. He's, yeah, that's he's right. The garden in the Gaza yeah. Strip. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. And, and, but I think they're looking at a, a network, potentially a network of these, mm. these, these gardens as healing, healing places. Fantastic. Really fantastic idea. Yeah. It's a brilliant. Yes. Yeah really
3: visionary yes yeah. no gardens great. of places of peace yeah. and solitude Well, not yeah. solitude solace you know in,
2: in it's just a wonderful exactly. concept exactly
1: yeah.
2: yes so yeah great, what a great course yep uh,
1: now a couple more i should uh, mention very quickly uh, firstly encouraging women in horti- or horticulture goodness me um, they're having an indigenous flora and vegetation forum Uh, Now, it's going to be featuring Kate Hill from Flora Victoria, Karen Thomas from Landcare Victoria, Jim Robinson from Greening Australia, Vic, and uh, Cecilia Reebel from Trust for Nature. And they're going to be talking about sustainability, habitat, community engagement, and how their organisations are helping to promote our flora and to mitigate climate change. Now, the forum will be preceded by the annual general meeting uh, and dinner, which will be at 6 o'clock, and uh, then the forum will commence at 7 o'clock. Now, um, you're invited to attend uh, both the AGM and dinner and the forum, if you wish. Um, The the cost of the dinner is $20 per person, two courses. Um, The forum itself, as I said, commences at 7 and 7:40 there'll be mid forum refreshments. Then nine o'clock the forum will close. Now it's all taking place at QPO Cafe in the Q room upstairs, and this is at 186 High Street in Q on the corner of Cotham Road there. And uh, the fee for the forum, if you're a member of Encouraging Women in Horticulture, $50. Non-members, $75. Student members, $35, and student non-members, $45. Now, um, you do need to book, of course, and uh, uh, payments are required by uh, Friday the 31st of August, so you do need to get in on that one. And uh, go to the website to book. It's events at ewha.com.au. So that's events at E-W-H-A dot com dot A-U for that one Now we're going to take a little break and have a listen to uh, a message
3: The Australian Plants Expo is a huge native plant fair coming up on September 8th and 9th in Eltham There'll be books, art, giftware and talks by Philip Johnson, A.B. Bishop and Loretta Childs there will also be demonstrations and workshops on botanical art, propagation, and native bonsai, as well as activities for children, refreshments, and door prizes. Saturday and Sunday, September 8th and 9th, 10am to 4pm, at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Contact at apsyarrayarra at gmail.com or call 0430 513 433 for more details. Australian Plant Society, Yarra Yarra, is a 3CR supporter.
1: And uh, I have been out to that show last year, and I must say it was an absolutely fabulous, fabulous show. So if you're at all interested in Australian plants, um, they had just a huge, huge array of uh, plants, all in flower. It was absolutely stunning. So I do recommend that. Um... As we said, that's, uh, that's uh, organised by the Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra Group. Uh, entry is $5 for adults, $4 concession. And um, our good friends Philip Johnson, AB Bishop and Loretta Childs will be uh, speaking at that. There'll be demonstrations and workshops, bonsai and flower displays art and activities for children and refreshments as well. So that's all coming up on the weekend of 8th and 9th of September, 10 o'clock through till 4 o'clock at Eltham Community and Reception Centre. Now, just uh, one more I should very quickly mention because also uh, coming up uh, very soon, in fact, on uh, that same weekend, 8th and 9th of September, the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society, in association with Camellias Victoria. We'll be staging the National Camellia Championships there as well. But uh, Fernie Creek Court Society have got their show on. It'll be held in the Horticultural Hall within the Fernie Creek Ornamental Gardens. Uh, This is at 100 Hilton Road East in Sassafras. It's just behind the Fernie Creek Reserve. Parking for this event is free within the gardens and uh, there's parking spots for disabled visitors as well. There'll be plant stalls, cut flowers, light meals and drinks, plus guided walks of the garden, where permitting, and uh, of course the ever popular sausage sizzle. If you'd like more information on the show, you can call Cynthia, and her number is double eight three nine five six four five. That's double eight three nine five six four five. And John, you've got something about Cranbourne too.
2: Uh, f- for Father's Day. Oh, um, yes. There's a special Plants for Your Place tour. Ah. Um, so trying to try and lure dads in. Great. Um, so, uh, and I'm just trying to work out when Father's Day is. I think it's, it's next, s- next, it s- next Sunday. It's the second. It is next Sunday. It's a week today. So it's next Sunday. Yes. So next, next Sunday, there's a special Plants for Your Place tour at the RBG Cranbourne, and just, so that's a, a guided tour, and I think there's some snags and that sort of thing associated with it. <laughs> right, it has to be a zombie that, that's, civil. that's right. <laughs> Isn't that, dad appropriate? Yeah, <laughs> something like that, yeah. So no <laughs> stereo. Giving a session of bad jokes yeah, at the yeah, end of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a, a, a Pick My Project project. Um, uh, bid in at the moment, which is t- to actually, so Pick My Project is community, it's called Community Grants Project. So one of our, one of our great friends is a Cranbourne resident and, um, has for some time been, as we all have been concerned about public trans- transport access to the Royal Botanic Gardens at Cranbourne. Yes. Um, so our Pick My Project, um, project is to get a community bus. Uh, and with a, with a driver and the community bus on weekends and public holidays, we'd do a couple of runs from Cranbourne Station to the gardens. Fantastic. Mm. Um, and then back. Uh, so it, 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 making the gardens more accessible by, by, by public transport. Gosh, so that's th- so needed. It yeah. really is, yeah, yes. yeah. So the way Pick My Project works is that people have to vote for that particular project. Um, and online. Online. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's pickmyproject.vic.gov.au. Vote now. Vote often. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, afraid we're clashing with a few
1: projects in no, Eltham, sure. Dot, oh, really? and probably a whole yeah, lot of others right. all
2: around that's Victoria. Right. So pick, <laughs> pick my project. It's a phenomenon, and there's is. some really, really great Is there a, is there a there. deadline for these? Uh, look, I yes, was just looking is. forward to, yeah, It's um, coming up reasonably soon, I think. No, yeah, I think there's still a couple of weeks still, to go for memory. Sure, sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it is a it it it, it is a well it's, is it a popularity contest? Uh, it, it, it's it's democracy. Pro- pr- it's democracy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about. That. Yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, wrong week. It, sorry. Yeah, wrong, yeah, wrong week. <laughs> yeah, but it, uh, it you know it's projects that are resonating with with communities are so the things that'll get up. But so.
1: the other thing is, John, that um, each person who goes online. They're actually allowed to pick three, three projects. That's right. You don't just have to pick one, you that's can pick three. That's so right. so we can have the bus at Cranbourne and we can have two of Eltham's projects <laughs> yeah. as well. There you go. There you so we're all covered. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right.
2: Um, but yeah. yeah so there's, there is a Pick My Project at, at the Royal Botanic Gardens at Cranbourne. So if Fantastic. people are interested in having a look at that, jump on the website, pickmyproject.vic.gov.
1: Excellent. Beauty. Okay. I think it's high time we uh, open the talkback lines for our listeners. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, we'd love to hear from you. Um, we have Tim, Tim Sansom. I can't get my tongue around things this morning. Tim Sansom from um, PMA. Uh, Plants Management Australia, and we also have uh, John Arnott, who's manager of horticulture down at uh, the Botanic Gardens there at Cranbourne. So, uh, do give us a call. We'd love to hear. From you, I don't have anyone on the outside line this morning, unfortunately. Uh, uh, our volunteer was not feeling well, so uh, you do have to uh, phone in on the uh, the talkback line nine four one nine zero one double five. But we'd love to hear from you this morning, John. Before I forget, very briefly, um, tell us a little bit about this great pedal experience.
2: I, I, look, it was fabulous. Uh, my partner Lisa and I on a Tandem bike, which I thought was very brave. <laughs> yeah. um, cycled from the the very source of the Rhine River, oh, high, wow. up, high up in the um, Swiss Alps. Yes. And we followed the course of the Rhine from the Alps through uh, Austria, Liechtenstein, Germany, France, Holland, Fantastic. Switzerland, of course. Um, so we, I think what? we pedalled through six, six countries in five weeks. Um, it was downhill all the way. Yeah, yeah. started <laughs> at the top <laughs> of the canyon. That, yeah. that was a great idea, <laughs> except for the uphill bits. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and there were a few uphill bits, particularly in in the first couple of days up in the Alps. Mm. Um, but it was a very different trip. Um, you know, normally when we we go travelling, we look for to to visit gardens and, yes. and and things like that. This this was actually about the ride. Okay. Uh, and the garden experience and the sort of the interaction with nature and the natural world. It happened organically rather than sort of having you know garden venues a- along the way specifically. So, so it, right. had it happened on the roadside? Yeah, it happened, happened on the roadside. Yeah. Yeah, it exactly. happened spontaneously. <laughs> but we rode through some lovely, lovely environments. I mean, I'd never really been in, well, the Alps before, uh, and when we got to, we started at a place called Andermatt, which is you know, high in the Swiss Alps, and, and it was freezing, like two degrees maximum temperature, uh, and the whole thing was shrouded in, in, in fog and mist when we, mm. when we got there, so we, we were under no particular time um, constraints, so we thought, well, just stay here for another couple of days until the fog lifts, because at the back of, the, back, back of that week it was going to get much nicer. Okay. Um, and we had a sense that there was these hills, Alps, uh, that were surrounding this little village, but we, it was all shrouded in so we couldn't see anything. The day that we left for, for riding, we've walked out the door and Bang, we've That's just been We're <laughs> They're <laughs> They're not just hills. Yeah. they are not hills. <laughs> um, and we caught her trying to ride right up to the top of this pass and we started, you know, way, way, way high up in the, the Swiss Alps. And I, I, I don't know, we, we could see, it felt like hundreds of miles. Yes. Peak after peak after peak. Wow. After peak. G- glorious blue, you know, snow-capped Alps. We, it was the most extraordinary experience. Um, so that's, that was that we started, you know, we're right up high in the, the the Alps. Everything was covered with metres of snow. Um, and the first day we, I think we uh, descended, you know, over a thousand metres um, into the foothills and, you know, the, and then we caught the river as a very small river and just, you know, traversed the course of the river mm. from, from there on. Um, but I mean, a real highlight, just in terms of the natural environment, were alpine meadows. Oh, La- flowering meadows. Wow, yeah. full of things that we'd probably call weeds. Yes. Mm. So lots of clovery things and yeah. different um, pea flowers and vetches and you know asteraceae and daisies and all sorts of all sorts of you know, what we look at as you know weedy things, but, but in, cool in their natural environment, in their natural environment. Yeah. You know, in, them in a you know, true meadow environment, buttercups we yeah. we see them as, as, you know, as you know a lot of the weedy. Yes. Yeah. Um, so seeing those alpine meadows and having the capacity. We just had a lot of time. It was a very gentle pedal. We were only, you know, on the bike for four or five hours every day. Um, but, but, you, but you see something interesting and you stop. Yes. So we were doing lots of stopping. No, that's <laughs> along, fantastic. Along the sides of the I, I
1: mean, really, that is the best way to see the countryside. It was glorious. Yes.
2: Glorious. Um, so the, the meadows were a real highlight. Some of the forest, there were some vast forested areas uh, either side of the Rhine in the sort of the, I, I guess they're, Floodplain forests.
3: Okay. Are they old forests? Old. They yes, so felt old. Yeah. Okay. They looked and felt not, old. Not cultivated then?
2: No. No, mm. no, no, no. Mm. Natural Natural forests. Yeah. So forests of oaks and forests, like vast um, forests of poplars. Mm. Um, yeah. And then a real surprise is when we hit the coastline at, um, uh, at, at Holland. Um, you know, I thought, stereotypically Holland, flat, cows, mm. canals, um, glass houses. Glass houses, Green. glass houses, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, windmills and the like. And, and all of those things were there mm. in, in, in abundance. But the, the coastline of, of, of southern um, Netherlands, it, it's actually this vast sand dune system. Right. Um, and it was a it was coastal oak forest. Um, but you, you think about Leptospin and Lavigatum in the Australian context, replace that with oaks. Mm. Evergreen, evergreen, oaks. evergreen oaks, yeah. W- w- windswept evergreen oaks. Wow. Right down in this literal forest, it was quite extraordinary.
3: Yeah, yeah you don't you think
2: of Holland don't like think that. Of Holland no. No, no, I don't, think, it, I don't think of anything wild in Holland much. <laughs> well, this this stri- stretch of coast, yeah, was vast and, and wild, and, and you know, just deer and all sorts of, wow. you know, really really high biodiversity r- natural. Uh, coastal sand dunes, fantastic, and vastness. You know, they went for a hun- well, maybe not hundreds of kilometres, but fifty or sixty kilometres. Mm. you know, along this stretch of coast, and, right. and really quite deep as well. You know, okay, three or four kilometres. Have
3: deep. any of those oaks been brought into cultivation? Oh look, know?
2: I imagine they you know, would have. Do you know? Do you know that species? No, like? I, no, I could tell they're an oak. Yeah, <laughs> 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 I could tell they're an oak. Um, but yeah, that was that was a, a bit of a highlight as well, seeing these, um, you know, coastal windswept wild dunes. Yes. Uh, down in the, in the in the south of Holland. Fantastic. But it was just a, it was a fabulous trip. We yeah. had a, we had a, a great time.
1: And just a wonderful opportunity to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It yeah. was good. And the weather was generally kind to you? The too. weather
2: was ridiculously good. Did we, you get the, that heat wave? Well, it, 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 was, we were, it was warm, mm. um, but we were in spring. So, oh, so you um, were before... Because the peak of summer was the real heat. Yeah, yeah. it was the real heat, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, we had, I think, two days of, of rain in five weeks oh. in spring in Europe. So <laughs> we were very, very fortunate to, for, for that to be the case. But it, it, isn't it interesting? I, I really enjoy seeing... Um, plants where they occur naturally, where they occur naturally. Yeah,
3: especially when you talk about buttercups and clovers yeah. and you think of those things. Yeah. We know them. Yeah, you know uh, them. Yeah, we know them. But yeah. they're in their natural yeah, exactly. landscape. This is where they come from. Exactly. And, and especially for you as a,
2: an indigenous gardener um, yeah. of in, indigenous plant yeah. material, yeah. Here, it in, here, here it is in indigenous in, in, context. Exactly. In its context. In, 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 in complete context. Yeah. Um, you know, sycamores that mm. are not... They're not weed- not, not <laughs> environmental weeds, yeah. so they actually belong there, uh, and a whole range of different things. So it was really lovely to see some of the forests. Um, some of the beach forests have just got a magnificent look and feel. To them, mm, there's an atmosphere there's in the beach a, There really is, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it. much more forested than what I, what I thought, particularly oh. in those floodplains either side of the river. Yeah,
3: uh, sort of secrets, maybe. Yeah. It?
2: Yeah. Don't, don't, don't talk about them. Cause people will start <laughs> going there. Yeah, that's right. I'm <laughs> going now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But a fabulous trip. It was, and just so nice to be able to do that under our own steam. Yes. I think hmm. we did 12, about 1300 kilometres. Okay. Over yeah. five weeks? Over or? four weeks of ride. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty gentle. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, and like Who says, does all the pedaling? Uh back. How does the dynamic work uh, on no, a tandem? No, no, no. You've got to work in. You have to work in tandem. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what often happens when you're riding a tandem in Australia? And, and uh, no, it is lycra-clad middle-aged men who think they're funny by saying she's not pedalling in in the back there, mate. Um, And we heard that in six or seven different languages, (laughs) (laughs) and we like we didn't know the actual words, but you could just tell from there. There's a phrase, there's a phrase, or there's a body language associated with people, and they they think they're so funny and so unique. And and no one's ever said that. No one's ever said that before. (laughs) It happens all the time. Oh, good heavens! She's not peddling. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it was (laughs) good.
1: Yep, great. Um, we've actually uh, got a bit of a problem with our mouse for the computer at the moment. So okay. what I'm going to do is, i can, I hoping that I can actually take the calls, even though they're not going to come up on the screen. So um, first up, I'm going to try and go to Anne in Oak Park. Are you there, Anne?
4: Oh, uh, yes, I am here, dear. Uh, this morning, I'd like to ask the panel, uh, I've got a planter box about four foot by four foot, and it's full of good dirt and all the rest of it. I was wondering, would that be suitable for a weeping cherry tree?
2: So, so it's, is it a it's a pot, is it, or a, 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 large, box. Oh, a large container? Container.
4: So, a planter box on the ground.
3: So it's how quite deep? large, four foot by four foot. Yeah, how deep? How deep?
4: Uh, probably round about fifteen inches.
2: Yeah, that'll be plenty for a, yeah. for a weeping cherry. And I was
4: wondering, um, once I put the cherry in, the cherry tree in, uh, I want to plant on one side of it some golden black pansies for Richmond (laughs) and on the other side some... Black
3: and white pansies for <laughs> Um Wishful thinking, thinking for the
2: grand final. Perhaps it's still a good chance. Uh, <laughs> well, if you, if you planted them now, you, you, and if the stock was reasonably advanced, you might even get them in flower for the grand for the grand <laughs> <laughs> uh, Look, that, w- that, that would also be fine yeah. for for for, uh, for spring and autumn bedding and annuals underneath the cherry. That that yeah. that would be an interesting combination.
3: I think that the the, uh, the one thing to remember in a confined container like that is irrigation in the summer and nutrient in the in the soil or yes. in the media, yep. so if it's good media, which you said it was it's well worked material, that's good um but they do dry out really quickly in the in those hot days, so oh, some sort of drip I, system or something.
4: I, I might add here that the planter box has only got sides to it. Goes down into the earth, oh, oh. the tree would be yep. really um, okay. Yes, bottom, so no, yep. no problems.
2: A bottomless container. Yep. that, yep. that yes. helps again. Yep, perfect. Because the yeah, absolutely, you're fine.
4: Yep. Okay. okay. Thank you very, very much. You, okay. you,
2: you might consider um, putting a, a, a layer of mulch on just to stop some uh, of oh, yes, the moisture I evaporating. because it's a big enough surface area that you would lose a bit to evaporation.
4: Yep.
1: And thank you very
2: much. Have okay. a great week. Okay, bye. Bye. Right,
1: uh, next up we're going to um, Jill, who's out in Diamond Creek. Good morning, Jill.
5: Good morning, panel. Um, look, I bought, I bought a, a, um, a packet of soil and it's for azaleas and camellias. I really wanted to use it to repot a Daphne. Would that be a good idea?
3: Uh, Yeah, it would be fine. fine. Yeah, absolutely fine. Um, Typically, the the azalea camellia mixes are a little bit more acidic. Yep. Uh, That's the basic. That's what they are. The the, the porosity or the the the, uh, air filled component is much the same. Yep. Perhaps a little bit higher in drainage.
2: And Daphne's will thrive in the same conditions. Yeah. So. Oh, good. So yeah. Go right ahead. Might even be a bit more organic matter in there or mm. something like that, but, yeah, sounds it's a nice match. Yeah.
5: When you say organic matter, do you, do you mean um, uh, like cow or horse manure, it, which I have a lot of? Oh,
2: good, <laughs> That's <to> good. you. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I guess I'm in mean, potting mix. it. I guess it's all organic matter, but I, I guess I was thinking maybe um, humic, humic material It's yes, a fine yeah. black material, yeah, humic. almost peaty yeah. m- material. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I was thinking it okay. might have been a bit more humic. To, more to anyway.
5: make it more open.
3: Yeah, or it a little well, bit more raw. To give it a bit more minerals. And yeah. your the, the cow manure and horse manure you've got, if, if they're well composted, you know, so when they're raw, they're raw, but when they're composted down, uh, they form that black humic material mm. and that's the organic matter that we're talking about that sustains ah, plant yeah,
5: growth. I've got a pretty good um, compost going. Yep. Yep. Well, that's yes. ideal. Yes.
3: So okay. you've got plenty of organic matter then. Yes.
5: Thank you. Now, also, uh, up in Hurst Bridge today is the Wattle Festival.
1: Today, is it? Oh. Today, Not next weekend.
5: Oh. Yes, yes, because of... Father's
1: Day.
3: Oh, okay, because it clashes. You couldn't couldn't clash wattles with Dad. No. No. No,
5: no. (laughs) So, I just thought I'd I'd mention that. Okay, thanks for that. It's going to be a lovely day. Yes,
1: it should be. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you. Bye.
2: Bye. I've always thought that Wattle Day it doesn't. It should be on the first of August in, oh, in Victoria because yes. they're all that's flowering. When they're, they're all, all out. going. Yeah, they've been going. And they've right been going yeah. really hard yeah. for. In
1: fact, some of them have already been and yeah. gone. that's right. Yeah. that's
2: right. So but maybe it's um maybe further north it makes more sense or Sydney it makes maybe. More sense, yeah, or, no, I but, totally but agree with you. Certainly for southeastern Australia, but there's yeah. so much growth happening in
3: our forests and native yeah. landscapes at the moment. Yeah. it's the time of the year when things are bursting with growth. Like yeah, absolutely, new growth on everything. Through. Yes, it's. Our spring. and well, this goes to that old concept of what spring and summer is, and the in the in between. In between, yes. But there's a real growth spurt happening in in native plants at this time of yeah, the year. Yeah, there is. Mm. Yeah, yeah
1: definitely. Okay, Tim, you brought in a plant, and you've got a whole story to tell us about it. So <laughs> let's let's go. Here through. I am,
3: listeners, putting it up on the desk. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but if you go to our Facebook page, yes. listeners, um, you should see the photo of it there up online.
3: So what I've brought in today is... I brought it in for a couple of reasons. One, because it's a native plant, and, you know, actually it was just coincidental that John happened to be in here, so we're talking native plants today. Um, but this is a, a plant called Essie's Gift. Well, that's the cultivar name. <coughs> um, it's actually a tilopia, which is one of the waratahs. So waratahs, the concept, the name of a waratah seems to have been colonised a bit by our New South Wales friends. Um, but waratahs, or tilopias, have... Um, had cousins in Victoria and yep. in Tasmania as well. Yep. Um, what's particularly interesting with this one, and why it's called Essie's gift? Es- Essie Huxley was a, uh, she's now passed away. She was an elderly, well, she wasn't always elderly, but she was a lifelong gardener in uh, in Longley, in near the Huon Valley in Tasmania, uh, and was an inspiration to many. But a generation, two generations, perhaps three generations of gardeners down in, down in Tasmania. So she's a Tasmanian horticultural royalty. Um, and she had a lot of influence on, on other Tasmanian well-known gardeners, like people like Peter Cundall and right. Marcus Harvey. Okay. Or, you know, uh, and she, she had in her garden quite a famous amongst the, that, that Tasmanian clique, a yellow flowering waratah. Now, and the, the Tasmanian Waratah is Tilopia truncata, truncata yeah. uh, and th- she had a yellow flowering right. form of, of truncata in her, in her garden for years and, and would sparingly give it to people she liked, apparently. I've been, I've been, reading, been reading this history. It's fascinating. Um, I never met her. Um, but she would, if you were lucky enough to be um, given a present, you might get one of these. So she had this, and it was kind of well-known. Um, But then about, and this was uh, sometime in, I think, around the 90s, maybe the early noughties, there was a connection made between her and a fellow called uh, Brian Fitzpatrick, who was a a breeder of of Waratah the New South Wales species, okay. which is Tillopia yep. um up in, up in New South Wales. And he'd been working um, with, uh, he, he actually originally was the propagator of, there was the white form, uh, yeah. which is Wirra white or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, he was the original propagator and introducer of that, so he got interested, they got to, got to know each other quite well and started trading pollen. So here's one of these breeder stories where okay. it starts up. So it's, it's now known as a Waratah affair. So the two of them had, <laughs> had an affair across two, two states. Um, where, she, so he, she was sending pollen to him in, in the post, um, in little freeze packs. He was then coming back down and doing some cross, cross fertilization and pollination. Uh, and the result of that was a, one particular seed pod produced a, had you know a dozen seeds. From that one seed pod, there was five or six colours that came as seedlings. Okay. Um, which are, you might see them around as the Brumby series of tilopias they're okay. around. So they're, a, so they're a hybrid between Truncata and Speciacysma. Okay. Uh, and the one I've got here is Essie's Gift, which is dedicated to Essie's memory um, because it was you know, highlighting this wonderful breeding story of, of this, a species that came from Tasmania and New South Wales and... Um, and hybridising the two and producing something that is quite special. So it's it's form, and if people know what a tilopia is or a, or a waratah, it's a, a a proteaceous flower. So they're like the banksias and the grevilleas. that have got those, um, and you might have to pick me up on the on the structure. What are those those bits are called? The the anthers, the anthers. Anthers. Thank you. Uh, and it's it's a hot pink, bright pink, uh, and it's a short form, a dwarf form. Uh, of tilopia. so it only grows to you know one and a half to two meters. Oh, okay. Uh, and is abundant in flower. Um, so and and their flowers are you know, they're they're not in flower yet. They'll be coming into flower depending on where you are in the country in the next you know three oh, probably two or three months. Okay. So you're coming into spring. Yep. And through the spring months, early summer. Um, and it's a real garden doer. They the tilopia's is like. They don't like a heavy clay soil. They like a quite a well drained soil. I don't know what, what, how you go down at Cranburn growing any of the tilopias. Uh, mixed. Yeah. Mixed. They can, this one, this one's pretty robust. And, I'm, and if you look at the one that I've got on the pot that's, um, that we've put up on the Facebook post, it's, it's a strong grower and it's got good garden pedigree. So it's, um, it's been quite successful in a number of gardens that I've seen it in. Mm-hmm. Um, but nice compact form, lovely story. This is how, how, you know, boffins in the plant world in their own little gardens, Do these things, trade plant material amongst their plant community. Uh, and then, you know, we, at the end of it, you know, you walk into a, into a garden centre and you look at a plant and you think, oh, I wonder how it got that name or Mm. how it got to be sitting there. Every plant pretty much that's in the garden centre has a story like this. Yes. So I thought this was a nice little example of, uh, how a plant comes to be. Yes, uh, absolutely. And a a really, you know, a really wonderful garden plant to be. Mm. Mm.
1: I really thought you were going to say that, Essie's gift was going to have a yellow flower. <laughs> uh,
3: that's interesting. Well, it took yellow. It took yellow pedigree. Yes. And, it, and there is a series in this. There's yellow. There's white. And there's and but this particular one was a hot pink, which okay. was well, it's not. A, it's it's kind of a cerise pink. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not a yellow. Not Interestingly, a yellow Even though own. her special one, perhaps she didn't want to give the yellow away. Oh. I'm not sure. Okay. She was quite protective of it. Apparently. Okay.
2: are yeah. <laughs> stigmas. Stigmas. <laughs> Sorry, right. Sorry to it. put you on the no, spot. That's a go- I, I just googled it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> no, they're stigmas. Uh, 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 the abbreviation the of the name Tilopia is an interesting thing. Yeah, myself. I was reading this. I think too. it means It can be seen from afar. Yeah. It's okay. As in telescope. Hmm. As, in te- oh, as in telescope. Oh,
3: yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 So because it's so bright and. And I think the word waratah, in, which must have been in one of the indigenous languages around Sydney, was was something around it being a bright thing in the distance. In the distance, yeah, So yeah. there's a sort of connection there. Yeah, yeah. And and if you do see waratahs in the wild, and I, I remember seeing truncata down in, uh, down the walls of Jerusalem last right. year, I did a walk through there, and yeah, you spot them from a, quite a way off, even it. though the, the little truncata flower is not as showy as
2: the it's, species. It's, it's mate. still pretty nice. It's still pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. A similar thing up at Erindale Plateau. Used to mm. go you see it from a distance. Yeah. Quite, so from quite a distance. Lig- Don't completely. need a telescope. <laughs> 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 but they, are, they can be a little tricky to, to, to grow. I was going yeah. to say, what said, conditions yeah. do they really need? The, the, best, the ones that are growing best at Cranbourne are ones that are growing in the future garden in raised beds. Um, mm. So, c- a- a drainage. Somebody, drainage. Un- unimpeded drainage. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we've got them in the cultivar garden, and there's a line yep. of them in the cultivar, which is pretty ambitious. Mm-hmm. Oh, so very have a, to have a line of these things in the cultivar garden. Copping you know, full, full sun. Copping full sun. Yeah. So, so I think full sun protected mm. is, is okay. Full sun exposed and exposed to wind and yep. not, not, so, not so great. But I actually think it's about if you can grow tilapia roots, you can grow a tilapia. Yeah. I think it's about providing the, the conditions. It's about growing a root system. Okay. I think if you can yeah. grow a tilapia root system, you're fine. So it's about, yeah. Um, I, I, I did, good drainage. I did yeah. read
3: a little a bit about, especially some of the New South Wales species or species system or cultivars. People taking them from the wild in history would always take a piece of soil, right? For, and I, and yeah. I, and that that's associated or potentially associated with a mycorrhizal sure. association. Yep. Work. I, I don't know if that's
2: is that stuff that you guys do much at, at uh, No, in fact, it's mm. it's, it's it's not. Um, but that whole landscape underground mm. and the complexity of soil is something that we're just starting to, to really start to come to terms with on our site. Mm. We've, we've got some real real issues with uh, our growing conditions across a fair bit of the site. When you think the Cranbourne Gardens, it was an old sand mine um, and for those that know the site, the trig, the trig point was not always the highest point on the site. The side of the Australian Garden was the highest point, so it was actually ah. higher than tree mm. point, right? Um, which I think is about twenty meters vertically higher than the, the Australian Garden is now. So, mm. a fifteen hectare site, maybe twenty meters of, of sand was extracted off the site. So, bili- yeah. billions of cubic meters of sand. Yes, mm. gosh. And in the process of moving all the sand around, um, we're now sort of gardening in sub 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 surface sand, which has no mm. no nutrient by bi- no, no. no no life no life yeah no life. Um, and it's a really it's really quite a tight sand that is reasonably water-attentive in, in the middle of winter. So in the middle of winter, we have a, a cold, wet, mm. um, a lifeless mm. sand. Mm. Um, Which
1: is exactly what yeah. plants hate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right.
2: And exacerbate that by putting a, a, a thick layer of organic mulch on the surface. Yes, right. And we're finding that most of the root activity and, and life in the soil is actually happening on the surface. Surface. So all, yeah, surface yes. rooting. We're not getting deep root penetration into the soil. Right. Um, Does that uh, make it a bit fragile? Oh, extraordinarily so, yeah. Mm. Like really, what's the opposite of resilient? Fickle. Yeah. It's (laughs) It's really quite fickle. So we're finding that we're irrigating at levels that we normally wouldn't have to with Australian plants because mm. the roots are being arranged right on the surface. Yep. Mm. And two or three days of really, really hot weather, the surface dries out and we're, we're losing You're in trouble, mm. yeah. You'd um, also
1: have a problem with them not being anchored so well.
2: Indeed, and blowing over the yes. wind. Yeah, and, and haven't we had a lot
3: of wind lately? Has no, that had an impact? Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Mm.
2: Um, so we've, we've brought in some, um, some really good soil science um, consultants to actually help us do a bit of problem solving and one of the, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a whole range of things that we're looking at doing, but one of the, one of the suggestions is that we need to um, get a little bit of life into the soil. Mm. Get a little bit of...
3: In, in the form of microbes in microbes, some sort? Yeah. So, yep. so sort of inoculating the ground? Potentially. And, and is there much work? On mycorrhizae, how do you inoculate with, with
2: funny or how do you know yep. which ones to use yep. or where do they no. come from? Or? I'm about to find out. Yeah, yep. I'd be fascinated we're, we're, to hear wow. yeah, that. No, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, and another thing that we're looking at doing is, is um, d- uh, digging trenches, sort of vertical trenches through the soil profile, um, and then backfilling with quite coarse compost um, and, and actually having these fissures of vertical fissures where roots can hit the... The, the, the trenches, which are full of organic matter, and actually start, and to then go start going start down. down, right? Okay. So, so the, sto- the soil might still be antagonistic, but the surface area—we're increasing the surface yeah. area, and yeah. providing the provision for, for, yeah. for roots to get to go, sort of, and much some much more anchoring, and, and, and much more. Yes. Anchoring, yeah. Okay. In, in some instances, we're going to have to dig out some of this really tight sand, the clay sands, and replace that with uh, sands that are a little more freely draining. Or it's about air. Mm. It's about mm. having air in the soil. Mm. Um, well, you think about the elements that roots need. They need yeah. air. They need water. Yeah, and, and you know a level of nutrients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and any one of those three is not there. You're, yeah, About it. it's mm-hmm. pretty acidic as well. We've, we're finding out that it's pretty acidic, and um, so yeah, we're we're dealing with all sorts of interesting mm. soil challenges at the moment and learning about the the nuances. So sands aren't sands. No. The assumption that we made was that you know sands are going to have the, the right properties for a whole suite of Australian plants that like things to be mm. a little bit drier, mm. um, and indeed we've got a, a soil which is really quite water-retentive and yeah. not a lot of air in it, it so you the you density is really high. You don't often wow. hear of a water-retentive sandy no, soil? No. No, no, you don't. You don't. Mm. No, but well, no. we've got them.
3: Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say congratulations, <laughs> but you not. Look, <laughs> look uh, long term,
2: I think it's a real asset to have mm. uh, you know higher uh, moisture levels into the into the soil. You know, once we've um, once you I mean, get, once get the, the nutrients down there and there right, the and, and, yeah, and, and the act, air, active root yeah, systems and, yeah. and, and and such things. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, we we we're, we're sort of learning a, a lot about our sand, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, we don't have earthworms in at that We saw one the other day, and we were, we were punching the air with we <laughs> Um So, yeah, we really we are really gardening in sub-sub-subsurface sands that have been Gosh. moved around. And, and the other challenge is that there's just no uniformity in the sands. Mm. So, you know, two or three meters away, you can have very different properties because it was so heavily disturbed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's, mm. it's, yeah. Not, a it's set not a natural setup natural at all. Profile at all. Yeah. No. Mm. So, we're actually having to construct um, uh, in in some of the really nasty areas. Yeah, you, know, you know, work out what we're going to do and uh, construct a growing media. <laughs> yeah, mm.
1: that's a big challenge. It's a big
2: challenge. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a big challenge. But you know, that, but that isn't that horticulture. Horticulture yeah. oh, yes, is about problems. Think of all the learning, that yeah, you're That's going right. to that. yeah,
3: be for you. Yeah, it's going to and the to then industry. communicate away and extrapolate for people to use. Yeah. People with sandy soil yeah. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, okay, yes, it's exactly. It's not necessarily rocket. It's not necessarily locked in that your sandy soil does this. Hang on, that, think exactly. about
2: this and this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's the lovely thing about. Um, I mean, the, the the Australian garden is still very much in establishment phase. Um, you know, the, I guess the the. The the design phase, the construction phase, the establishment phase, and then Mm. there's probably a maintenance phase at Mm. some point. Um, We know we're near that sort of maintenance. Mm. We're still very much establishing and consolidating this landscape.
1: Well, also, if you think about, you know, arid central Australia, um, and they lose all their top, any topsoil they've got in in some of these dreadful windstorms and and, and through drought because they've they've dried out and off Mm. they go. Some of what you're going to learn could well be, a pl- it could be quite revolutionary for a lot of Australia yep. that is seen to be um, not very fertile at all.
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh, and parts of sub-Saharan Africa. Well, yes, you know, exactly. It's going to go across I the
1: mean, world.
2: <laughs> oh, look where we're taking you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope someone's writing up a paper on all of this. Yeah,
2: look, we should. In fact, definitely. Doc- documenting is, is one of the really important things. Oh, it is. Um, because if we get it right, we want to be able to repeat mm. it.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yes. Wow. Yeah. That, so, that's um, so intriguing.
2: And, you know, potentially inoculating with um, some soil biota. Mm. Is, yes. Is, 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 I mean, the, that whole link between um, mycorrhizal fungi in the soil and tree roots is, you know, we, we're starting to learn that this is mm. the main game. Wow. Well, yeah. and, yeah. we're and we're really only it. just yeah. starting mm. yeah. to understand it all. Yeah. If we do it all, I think. It's
3: almost at the point where we just understand that it's there, there. but what is it? Yeah. Well, and we know it's a good thing. Yeah, we know it's a good thing. we know it's valuable. Yeah. Well, how the hell does this work? Yeah. Yes.
1: And what's the r- actual, you know, relationship mm. between the various plants and the, and, and, the and, and the mycorrhizal and fungi? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
2: The, uh, the, the we've got an orchid conservation program with uh, Nushka Rita yes. and it's a fabulous, you know, world-leading um, orchid conservation program. Uh, and again, that is about being able to. In- inoculate media with with fungal, mm-hmm. with, with mycorrhizal fungi. Um, no mycorrhizal fungi, no orchids. Um, mm. So we, we've actually got an expert in our midst who can actually assist, potentially assist us with you mm. know, how we might look at landscape scale, mm. Mm. Um, fungal inoculation of a, of a mm. soil media. Fantastic. Um, but at the moment, it, it's a project in prospect. Yep. We need to get the foundation of that landscape Absolutely, going. absolutely. And it's not all doom and gloom, and there's, you know, vast areas of the Australian Garden are working really well. Um, but there's probably about, I don't know, 10%, 15% of the site, which is actually really challenging in terms of the uh, underlying environmental conditions of the soil. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, look who we've got up online. We've got our good friend, Gwen Elliott. Good morning, Gwen. Good morning, everyone. Good
2: Good morning, Gwen.
1: Gwen. Hello, John. And everybody else
0: in there. Um, Yeah, just look, I thought something that might be of interest to our listeners was that yesterday was the, uh, I guess it's annual awards. I'm not quite sure if they are annual because I'm not a member of this organisation personally. Mm -hmm. But yesterday was the Best Friends Awards for this year of the Victorian Environment Friends Network. Lovely. -hmm. And, And, you know, volunteering is such a great thing. And it was actually held at the Cranbourne Gardens yesterday. Oh, nice, Graham. But yeah. the winners were—I can tell you where they come from because people came from all over the place. Right. There were three best friends. One was Judy Ingram of Friends of Maribonong Valley. Nice. Graham Lorimer, Friends of Bungalook Conservation Reserves, yeah. and Graham is one of our mm. um, foremost people on grasses in Victoria. Grasses
5: and sedges. Mm.
0: Yeah, and Fiona from the Friends of Ocean Grove Nature Reserve. Now, they've got the three main awards, uh, and there were four highly commended. There was Margaret and Richard Clark of the Friends of Cranbourne Gardens. All right. Ben Ellis of the Friends of Water Wa- Water Race and Quinn Reserve. Melissa Holden, Friends of Gatta Valley. Mm-hmm. and Claude um, Odorizio Friends of the Organ Pipes National Park. Goodness.
6: Wow. So there
0: were about 70 people there, um, and it was a real... I mean, the weather was perfect.
6: Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs>
0: they, they arranged that really well. But, <laughs> you know, it was a great day, and all the people who uh, are involved in conservation and environmental aspects all over Victoria were able to discuss their, their work, their frustrations much. because you know many of the groups do have various frustrations. Sure, uh, in fact, all of them do, I'm sure, yes. but also lots and lots of pleasure. So uh, you know, I'd encourage people to to get involved in volunteering because from yesterday was just a wonderful day. Smiles all over the place.
6: Brilliant.
0: Um, now that network has got a website, and that's friendsvic. Oh goodness, no, friendsvic.org. That's not, you know, anyway. (laughs) Um, It it perhaps goes via the National Parks Association. But anyway, Victorian Environment Friends Network. If you Google that in, I'm sure Mr Google will know exactly where to go to. But um, anyway, I thought I'd mention that. Also, while John's in the studio, you did mention, Pam, that there's a a special day next Saturday at um, Wilson Botanic Park park in Berwick Yes, and another one of my um, soapbox things I guess is encouraging people to visit your local regional parks and reserves and things because there's a wealth of you know things to be gained by visiting them and sometimes the plants we see in nurseries particularly I also encourage people to visit their small nurseries but certainly in the, the big box tours type places if a thing doesn't look good in a six inch pot they're not going to sell it easily and they don't want to stock it Mm. so if we want to have a bigger pallet of Mm. plants to um, have in our gardens you know places to go are places like our local botanic gardens Mm. community gardens where we can see the plants once they've had a chance to be in the ground for Mm. a year and doing their thing brilliantly often, but um, don't look good in a 15 centimetre
2: pot. Yes. Isn't it interesting, Gwen, that the the last few Friends of the Cranbourne Gardens plant sales have been absolute booms? They have. Um, and what that says to me is that there's, A, people that they, I think they really value the, the, the role of, the, of Friends. There's access to some really great plant material. Mm. And it's almost the opposite of you know, going down to the big box. Mm. There's yes. some social capital, and yep. there's some access to some really great plant material. And people are starting. I mean, they're coming to these plant sales in their droves, mm. based on plant
3: sales are becoming a thing.
2: They are a thing, uh, yeah. even. I mean, the whole indoor plant sale movement. Right. I don't know if you've Important. sort of caught this
3: phenomenon. No, uh, there's the sort of twenty somethings are it, looking for really. these rare like they're looking for variegated monstera. Right. It's, it's a different yeah, it's, it's a different thing to like the friends gardens Yeah. Do, I actually
1: I actually took my um youngest daughter to one a couple of weekends ago and people were queued down <laughs> the street yeah, and round the corner. I couldn't the believe it is so, yeah, so good.
3: It is yeah. so good. This it's is, fantastic. A, is a new generation of gardeners it's coming is. and they're interested in something that's off the beaten track. Good. It's, yeah. really, it's really really
0: good Ferny Creek Horticultural Society too. Up at their hall, they've got a garden all around it. And, you know, people can see the plants growing in the garden and then go into the hall where they've got their plant sale and say, I want one of these. And technology has helped tremendously because what people are doing more and more and more now is coming to the plant sale and they've got their mobile phone with them and then say, look, this plant is growing over near that gum tree over there. Have you got one of these? And they've taken a photo of something that looks pretty and red and they haven't been able to see a label. Um, Or they'll say that, you know, my next-door neighbour's got this. Can you tell me what it is and have you got one? Mm. So mobile phones are being used a tremendous amount, and I'd certainly encourage people to do that because it's much better than sort of wandering up and saying, look, I want a plant. It's blue with five yeah. petals. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so use your mobile phone and certainly use these public gardens. And John Wilson Park, uh, Park at Berwick is um, an unsung, you know, gem in our state, isn't it?
2: Look, it really is. It's, um, uh, I, I, I really love Wilson Botanic Park. I mean, I love it. It's, it's, it. It really is a community hub. So I think the local folks... Um, attend um, Wilson Botanic Park and its drives,
0: Why, there are thousands, yeah. because they use it for walking. It's dog-friendly mm-hmm. if your dog's on the lead. And early morning, there's hundreds of people walking. It's big. I'm not sure John might know how big it is. I but
2: think it's 85 hectare, uh, 85 acres. Yeah, Mm -hmm. with a
0: big lake because it was a quarry and um, it reminds me of Boochast actually over in America in (laughs) many respects. Yeah, it
2: does. There's
0: rocky areas around the edge and, you know, it's a great place to visit even if you can't get there next Saturday when there's all sorts of things happening.
2: And and it's a site of, you know, great international paleobotanical significance. There's a a seam of fossils um, towards the back lake which has got some, some... 50 million year old uh, Angophora eucalypt uh, mm. type fossils which are embedded in wow. n- yes, next yes, to notophagus So okay. yeah. notophagus and eucalypts sitting yes. in the same not fossil scene It's just a
0: native garden um, It's got indigenous things, uh, sorry, um, international things as well yeah. so. You don't have to be a a native nut to to go along and enjoy it because there's um, rose gardens and all sorts of other areas as well. And
2: it's a bit wild. You get out the back of Wilson Botanic Park and, look, most of the plants are sort of um, colonised, have colonised on the side. Uh Um, But, you know, there's a big pine forest and that pine forest was never really planted. It was just, Uh. you know, seedlings essentially. Right. Uh there's There's a bit of a wildness to Wilson Botanic Park, which is really lovely.
0: Okay, but that's, you know, they're just a couple of thoughts I had that I thought people might be interested in this morning, but I'll let you continue on with your (laughs) thoughts and those of other callers.
2: Good Uh, on you, Gwen. Gwen, the uh, the website that you said for the uh, Victorian Environmental Friends Network was actually spot on. It's friendsvic.org.
0: Yeah, that's on the front of, I've got the presentation document for yesterday, but I thought, Friends all. Yep, How far will that get me? I just
2: popped it in and it brings up their, their home page. So Friends oh, Vic There you go. Good on works.
0: you. I'm glad you've got a popper in equipment in
2: there. <laughs> <laughs> it's been popped. <laughs> Good on you. Good on you. Gwen. Okay. Okay, thanks, Gwen. Bye.
1: Bye. You are listening to the three C R Gardening Show. We're running through until nine fifteen, our usual time slot. So if you'd like to give us a call, we'd love to hear from you. We've got Tim Sansom and John Arnott in the studio this morning, so do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Tim, let's have a bit of a chat about what you're actually doing in, out at PMA because it sounds interesting.
3: Yes, yeah, so, um, I've taken on the role as the marketing manager. So PMA, uh, we're the connector in the, in the trade, really. So we're connecting the, the breeders with growers and then it goes out to the retail market so we've got about 150 or thereabouts plants in our portfolio um, all of which are oh, not all but the vast majority are uh, plant breeders rights protected so royalties f- flow back from the sale of those back to a to a breeder or a, a creator or a discoverer um, which is a concept that i guess a lot of people don't necessarily understand how that works so, And for me, coming in, I'm about eight weeks into the role. We talked a lot about what PBR means and how it works. The analogy that was explained to me, which I think is a good one, is where PMA are a bit like the publisher for an author who writes a book. So if you're an author who writes a book and a book is analogous to a plant, that's your bit of intellectual property. Um, PMA act as the, the publisher who will help you get a printer, which would be a grower. And help you with distribution out out into the bookstores, which is the retail um, garden centres across the country. Um, It's a nice analogy. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and I think people are familiar with that because we understand how how that works. People perhaps don't understand as clearly that plants have origins and And and, owners. And and owners, yeah, and actually owners. There is this is actually legitimate law. You know, there's there's 25 years of legal um, activity here. People, you can own for 20 years. You can own. A variety. You it, can own a variety even though you didn't breed it. It's interesting. This is interesting. You can discover it. Yes. And so long as it is distinct and you and you have to go through a fairly rigorous process with yep. IP Australia, Intellectual yep. Property Australia, um, where you have to put up against comparators and yep. show a distinct trait. Um, so yes, it can be just discovered, and there yeah. are there are some sports that you you might just you know it's like striking a nugget yep. of gold. Yeah. You know that's yep. if, if you've got a keen eye, yep. you can spot things, and there's there are plenty of examples in the horticultural trade of things that have just been accidentally spotted, yep, that, sure. have, that have become huge. Yep. Um, I, I think of, I, I think David Glenn has a Ascot rainbow euphorbia, which is a, a variegated, a rainbow variegated euphorbia. Um, David Glenn up at, um, uh, Lamley. at, at Lamley's yeah. in Ascot. Um, and that, I'm, I'm not sure if that was a sport or whether it was, I, I, I don't think it was a breeding program, I think it was an observation. Yep. Mm. And that has, that has taken It's been in the Australian market for 10 years or so, perhaps a bit less, about five. But it's actually gone to the US and is selling big numbers. So, here's it, here's, there is, so everyone out there, get your keen eye out. (laughs) If you spot something that's different and it is uniquely different, you can actually register it and, and get it, give it a name and give it some commercial value. Now, it's not, and I don't want to sort of overplay the sort of, the harsh commerciality of it. You know, a lot of this is, these are people who are passionate gardeners and, and a lot of them have spent, Twenty, thirty, forty years breeding plant material, and out of hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of of, of progeny through their through their breeding programs, one might make it mm. so there 's a couple of different ways that people can enter into this game we 'll get into it so yeah, so my role at PMA is to spruik the plants, i suppose is to talk about which plant, what the virtues of these plants help with the selection of plants going forward for future climate um, uh, scenarios and and to, uh, to give these plants a bit of a, a life
2: out there, because I think there is some wonderful stories and, and good plant material mm. the, the future the future climate thing are, are, are we actually selecting and breeding for that
3: oh, There are people that are doing that okay. I, I think there's no, i think it 's becoming more uh, I, I, I think perhaps five years ago probably wouldn 't have been no. and I think the more forward thinking people are i mean we 've got a and, and, and sometimes it's it's actually not necessarily about the breeder doing it, but it's what we select as appropriate plants. We've got a, uh, a Carex called, um, it's an Oshimensis hybrid called mm-hmm. uh, Feather Falls. Um, and Carex have got a terrible name in Australia for burning off badly in the summer. They just, yes. And, and being a little bit weedy. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. I mean, I yeah. think we've all had Carex Buchanii yeah. seed through yeah. our garden. And I and I know having talking to Andrew Laidlaw about this, that he's like, oh, Carex okay, don't want them for the gardens because we can't have them because they seed everywhere. Yeah. So here's one we can trial, Feather Falls, that we've been doing for a few years now. Never mm-hmm. seeds. It's been through 40-degree heat. Right. And it'll actually grow that in almost standing it. water. So really? it's, here's something that will take the mm-hmm. sort of conditions that, that the future's going to bring. Sure. Um, so it's, it's not just about the breeding. It's also about the selection criteria right. and what we, what we put around these plants to decide whether they're going to be something to offer. But
2: I'm just thinking about plant provenance. Um, you know, one of the suggestions is that we look at the edge of range or, mm-hmm. you know, we're selecting things from from hotter and drier locations. I, I, I couldn't pick up a, a, a species of wattle from mile or on the new high and bring it back into cultivation and give it a name, could I?
3: No, No. No. No, because it's it already exists. If it, already, yeah, it, already, if it exists. already exists. And so PBR isn't just Australian law, it goes to international law, right. and there's a register of species yep. through an organisation called UPOV. Don't ask me what the acronym stands for, <laughs> okay. <though> I <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know. But UPOV govern what, is, what are already existing species. It, it's a pretty tight program. Okay. You, you, you've It's got to be something uniquely distinct. new, distinct, and not seen before. Mm. And, and they're pretty strict around the comparators. Yeah, okay. Okay. That's what, an, what an interesting role. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating. I'm, I'm learning a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I've been in gardening for 25 years and have... I, and my history has been using plants from wherever. So to see uh, cultivated varieties that are... You know, to learn the history of their, of their breeding program and, and learn what they, where they come from, yeah. rather than just, oh, here it is, I'm going to use it, yeah. is an extra dimension. Yeah, yeah. for sure.
1: Of course, there's the flip side um, to all of this, which is where home gardeners, particularly if they are keen veggie growers, um, really rebel against this whole concept, don't they? Because they want to be able to have open pollinated um, you know, plants, that they can, they can collect the seeds, um, they can sow again the following year, et cetera, etc. Et and so they, they really yeah. – and, and, and I know some of the so – even some of the commercial farmers really get very de- uh, disgruntled about having to, to pay for the seed.
3: Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a difference in here for me. <clears throat> what does ownership of genetic material for cropping – Mean compared yes. to, and that's a big commercial scale. A PBR law doesn't preclude someone from taking a cutting mm. for your own garden. You can do that. You just can't. Sell you can't, it can't sell it. So but you
1: also, I've, I've heard it said that you can't, therefore, even sell it at a, a kindergarten plant stall, for instance, a fundraiser. Um, you know, so technically that's true. Technically it is. So,
3: yeah. and, and look, I would say that there are for a. a and it's that, about knowledge, I suppose, to some extent. For a, a back, backyard operation, we're taking a few cuttings for the local plant fair. Um, there are plenty of open varieties out there that are good varieties that uh, that you can use to do that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to encourage anyone to take cuttings and sell them of PBR varieties because it is against the law. Exactly. But it's also how much would that be enforced at that level? Yes. You know, it's, yes.
1: It's, it's, it's but it's... yeah. The point is the law does exist. and the law does uh, exist, we, that, yeah. we should, you know, everyone and should be, at least be aware of it. Of course, yeah. Well, and,
3: and I think if I go back to that analogy about a, a book author, we understand that as intellectual property. So yep. yes. this is the context in which it sits in the horticultural
2: game. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued by the, I can take a cutting of a, of a registered plant. Um, I'm just thinking of the Cranbourne Garden scenario, if we wanted to plant several hundred of something... We could buy a mother stock and probably go. No, that wouldn't be ethical.
3: I don't know the no. law on that. No. Talk to me. Talk to me after <laughs> <the> show. <laughs> <to be gone. laughs> and people out there, that's a no.
2: <laughs> I think that no, that wouldn't be ethical. I'd,
3: I'd, I, don't think so. No. No, I think we do have a number of uh, councils who will buy from us as growers, yeah. and
2: they'll have to pay a royalty. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For so, sure. So, yeah, it's. I guess it's commercial in a sense. So at the low end. Yeah. It's. It's. If you're talking about a cutting off a plant. That's, yeah. that's one thing. But It's different yeah. to take it to a commercial scale. Sure, yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. Yeah, great.
1: Okay, we've just had a message through from the outside line to say that um, Lynn, one of our listeners, is giving an early notice of the Grampians' wildflower show on the 29th and 30th of September uh, the show this will be its 80th year, so that's fantastic. Uh, there'll be a display of wildflowers of the Grampians um, because they uh, they do have a license to actually pick them, so they can all be displayed. Dritty. So, yeah, 80th year. 80th wow. year. That's great.
2: And what a what a place the Grampians. Oh I mean, yes. I mean I, I mean, I think a third of Victoria's naturally occurring plant species occur in that one reserve. Absolutely, you know, it's, it's incredible. Is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 30% of, F, of the Victorian flora occur in the Gramps. Mm. Isn't that great? It is. Yeah.
3: Yes. You, yeah, you wonder, I guess it would be a good representation, what is a good representation of what the whole of the Wimmera would have been.
2: You know, would at least, maybe, maybe in the lowland bits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Because the, there's only the,
3: those, I sort of think there's Mount Arapoles and there's the Grampians, there's yeah. the reserves, the rest of it's yeah. changed
2: yeah. completely. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great spot
1: yeah so that's, thats that's definitely one for the diary if you can um, manage to you know make a weekend of it yeah. for goodness sake yeah great idea
6: yeah.
1: Yeah. when when do um when when's the main time for all the uh, western Australian wildflowers John what's
2: oh look, I think you know like, it's typically that sort of late winter, early spring to mid-spring is the real hot spot So now, now. so so mm. pretty much now, now. Mm. yes now
1: fantastic.
2: Yeah. Yep.
3: This are you talking the, the fields of
2: paper yes, daisies? Well yes, yeah. yeah. oh, that might be a little bit later, possibly the, the wildflower rather than the sort of the woody um I don't know. I don't know exactly. I've got okay. a feeling the wildflowers might be a little later. A little later. Yeah. It, S- it, certainly it, spring. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I think yes. a lot of people especially with WA, they think of the,
3: the wildflowers thing as being the, the fields of paper daisies but in amongst, you're going around Albany and the, those in, in the in the forests, sort of in the southwest. There's so much biodiversity. So in much there. biodiversity.
2: I was more thinking that. Yeah, well here, yeah. In terms of the you know the woody. Yes. The, 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 the the shrubs and the woody, the woody flora, the mm. flowering flora. Mm. Western that, Australia, it's a, yeah, it's a, a extraordinary flora. Mm. It's a, yeah, Hitting yeah, around with
3: a little hand lens and yeah. around the undergrowth is now. That's yeah. <laughs> the time. <laughs> I would
2: imagine so. <laughs>
1: Oh dear, John, the other thing that you, you mentioned to us is that you are now on the board of Diggers. I am,
2: as of a uh, couple of weeks ago. Okay. I, I, I was nominated and the nomination was accepted to the Diggers Foundation and Diggers Board. Congratulations. That's a, that's
1: a great... That's a great gig. Mm. It is a yeah. great gig and, and they, I mean, Clive Blasey has been so... Um, you know his foresight everything he's put into into the whole um you know setting up of the foundation uh, for the people
2: remarkable i mean I'm, I'm learning a lot about clive and learning a lot about diggers which is which is right if i'm going to sit on the board oh yes you know, i need to understand the business but yes. it's um, uh, you know 75000 members is just the most remarkable membership based organization it is it is and, you know, being on the Mornington Peninsula, there's a whole sort of social enterprise, uh, local employment thing, which is happening in spades down down there. Mm. Um, and, of course, they've now know, got they've the other, got other gardens as well. They've St. got Earth. Cloud
1: Hill and, and Garden of St Earth. Yeah. And, yeah. and the outlet
2: at the Adelaide Botanic Gardens. Yes, yes. And, exactly. And increasingly looking at, at, at having more outlets in mm. more gardens across, across the country. And, okay. Um, you know, Clive's uh, uh, extraordinarily ambitious, visionary... Horticulturist who's you know still still got some you know some uh, extraordinary amount of drive and vision for the. He's taken it
3: in what's 40 years I think it's 40 40 years years 40th anniversary this year. He's taken it from a a backyard or a little shed in um, I think they were in what's the Bayside suburb I can't think of it. Yeah, a little backyard. um, a, a concept, an idea. A concept, an idea, yeah, yeah. a little mail or catalogue, yeah. cycling down to the post office to get the first <laughs> orders <you> know, <laughs> <laughs> to what it is now. It's, it's, a, it's a remarkable it's effort. Ph- it's phenomenal, yeah.
1: It is really incredible. Yeah. I mean, you you worked there at one stage.
3: I was I was at diggers for 13 years. So 13 I, years, was I, it? Yeah. I, Gosh, I well done. I talk, talk after the show. Yeah, well, again, we'll talk <laughs> after the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, looked, a huge influence in my life and my gardening um, expertise or my garden knowledge mm-hmm. um, I came into Diggers as a, uh, a gardener who had, my, my, I guess my background initially, my introduction was through food gardening and it was on riding the wave of backyard food production that I came into Diggers but I learned so much That's about nice all aspects of Australian gardening yeah. you know, the Diggers is, sets itself a high goal uh, of educating gardeners across the country for Australian garden conditions different to anywhere else in the world and goes a long way to achieving that mm, it's, yeah, it's a remarkable organisation mm. yeah. a real testament to Clive and Penny yeah, yeah, mm, absolutely definitely.
1: Definitely. and I, although i've never been to it i would have loved to have gone to uh, their trial garden because i think oh, that's where the, a lot up of at and Seymour, yeah. a lot yeah. of the fascinating work would be taking place
3: especially at the time when and this this goes back to when the, the, clive had had been over to the states visited the seed savers exchange looked at how they were rescuing heirloom varieties and brought that concept back to Australia uh, and the, the, the research farm at Trawool was set up basically as a replica of what they were doing in the right. US gotcha. and trialling uh, a heap of different heirloom varieties, putting them up against F1s yes. in in, 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 in South East Australia.
2: In Australia. In our conditions yeah. in
3: Seymour so it's yeah, right. fairly tough conditions, yeah. cold winter, fairly hot dry summer yeah. and that was the, the creation of the first vegetable book Mm. With, um, the Australian garden vegetable, mm. and that information is still rock solid and yep. built upon today. Yes, yeah. well,
1: he's still, he's still going on with, with all that work. We're, yeah. we're seeing more and more heirloom seeds becoming available to the public. Yep. Which yep. is. Um, They're, still yes. They're still doing trials. Yes. It's yep. just fantastic.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, so that's it's great. It's a, it's a real. Um, it's, I think I'm going to enjoy it a lot. And, you know, hopefully make a contribution as well. So, mm, yeah. I'm sure you will. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. Okay. What else is new down at Cranbourne? I mean, you've so...
2: Can I talk grey plants, Pam?
1: Of course, yeah. you can talk grey plants because we- um, you mentioned that you've been looking at, at um, well, planting for, for future climates. Yep. Um, and grey plants, of course, is, is, well, we all associate grey plants with being tough, and hardy, don't yep. we? And, yeah, absolutely. And drought resistant. So. And, and,
2: and that sort of grey and silver foliage is about re- reflecting light and it's kind of the opposite of, of, of drawing in heat and it, it's really, it's an adaptation to aridity or it's an adaptation to really high levels of solar radiation or, you know, or, or combinations of, of that. Quite a lot of coastal plants have, have, have got that silvery foliage yes. as, as an adaptation yes. to living in a hostile environment. The, um, our red sand garden circles have failed. Um, for a whole host of reasons, predominantly rabbit predation. So we've we've had this big population of rabbits that we haven't been able to get on, on top of in the red sand garden, and we had Brigodia spinescens in there, which is highly palatable. So it's one yeah. of one so of the. the yeah, so you yeah. fed them. Yes. They're big fat bunnies running <laughs> around. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, and we kind of we, we lost the circles a little bit, and they got a little bit weedy. And so, so we're, we're we're doing a renovation of the red sand garden over the next little while. Okay. Digging out circles, putting in some fresh soil, sand. Yep. Um, and and replanting. We we we're not all that confident that. Whilst we're on top of rabbit numbers at the moment, we've got a sense that the rabbit numbers will, at some stage in the, in the future, come back. What well, they've got some history. Here, they've got, they? some yeah, history. Yeah. They yeah, got, got some history. They've got some history. Not as two. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Here we go. <laughs> two, <laughs> ten, <laughs> twenty, and so on. Um, so we're looking at. I mean, we could just plant raggedia spinescence back in there, and that would work. It's got all of the right attributes in terms of size and color and form and. You know, there's a, there's a visual intent that we need to sort of honour in perpetuity with those red sand circles. Sure. But what we're looking at now is alternatives to Rigodia spinescens. Okay. Um, so we're going to plant something else in there, which is more resilient, less mm. palatable, but has the same attributes. as. And, as and the as attributes you're looking for are to do with height and density? and. Th- and so there's the colour of the foliage, mm-hmm. sort of silvery, grey, reflective, um, and that's really... Um, Sort of suggesting the, the the harshness of the arid inland of Australia. Sort of a so there's a lot of iconism um, going on with the yep. gray, with the grey circles. But
1: it also is a fantastic contrast to the red sand. Yeah, red.
2: So color. Is a consideration. Form. Uh, we're really wanting these circles to be discs, uniform discs. Um, so so. Uh, uh, so uh, it uh, has to be in shape and form. Yeah. And, yeah. So close, canopy. Yep. So clo- not a lot of vertical. You know, some lateral growth. Mm. Um, so it's a really quite specific proof. Um, there's a height thing. We want it to be you know, m- either manageable at about 700 or 800 um, millimetres, you know, something that we could clip to that, but ideally something that grows to that. Yes. And so you don't have um, to clip every time. Don't you know, don't need yeah, to be yeah. clipping yeah. all That's the time. Right. Yeah. But, but for the right thing, we accept a, an amount of maintenance. Mm. Um, so height, colour, form... L- longevity is good. If it's something we don't have to replace every five oh, or six years, yes. Would would be, would be good. Palatability. <laughs> for uh, rabbits. Yeah, for rabbits. is amazing Are you going to use it right. in the cafe as well? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so low palatability. We, it needs to be something that we can source and prop in big numbers, uh, you know, in reasonable time frames. It can't be weedy. So there's a weed evaluation that, yes. that has to happen. Um, and uh, the other thing is that ideally it's a, it forms a living mulch and suppresses weeds. So not much to ask of this a plant. super plant. <laughs> so right colour, right form, uh, right habit, right height, suppresses weeds, long-lived, not palatable, <laughs> easy to propagate, <laughs> and not weedy. So, it it simple. Simple. so is it a long list or is it a very short list? <laughs> well, we, we, we had a, list of, a long list of about... So, and grey. So that the a good So we, we had a brainstorm with our horticulturists and we came up with a list of about 40 grey species um, and then started to assess them against those criteria. So the list got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller.
1: Who's got a pet rabbit that you keep feeding <laughs> <Yeah>. these plants <laughs> to? <laughs> um,
2: so the palatability, it, 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 we know Rigadia is highly because we've seen it happen, but yes. we've had rabbits in other areas of the garden, so we've been making observations okay. over, over many yes. years. So we've got a bit of a feel as to what's palatable and what's not. Okay. Um, but we're throwing darts a little No, no, it's an, educa- <laughs> it's an educated... Throwing darts rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... So the list got narrower and narrower. narrower. Yeah. So we looked at all the sheenopods and all the salt bushes, and then we looked at uh, a bunch of coastal plants, um, and then we looked at, at some things that you you mightn't obviously t- t- that you wouldn't necessarily think about. So it, 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 where it's landed though, and this is, I'm, I'm starting to get slightly sweaty palms even thinking about <laughs> this, because it's landed with. Um the, 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 short, the very short list is a thing called Zyria li- li- literalis, which I'm really happy with. And there's this other thing called Westringia smoky, oh, which is actually about. variegated. Oh, really? Oh. So it's a, actually a variegated plant. So it's got yellow and sort of gray variegation, but the, the, at a distance, it, it looks, looks completely gray. It's almost the same color as variegated as spinesens. Okay. So it's, it's a grey leaf white variegation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's looking like it's looking like Westringia Smoky is, is is going to come out on top. Now I have this thing about variegated plants. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the staff are absolutely ribbing me at every opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Manager of horticulture advocates strongly variegated plants in iconic <laughs> landscape of the Royal Botanic Gardens, <laughs> Cranbourne. We're about to plant potentially four and a half thousand Westringia smokies. Okay. Into the rego- into the me, Shall we workshop where the variegation <laughs> issue comes from? Bob? Oh, look, it just—I think it just makes me feel a little bit ill. Because <laughs> is it because it's not a species thing?
3: It's, uh, not, it's not a naturally occurring
2: thing. It's kind of—they're selected away from. Possibly in, 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 there might be that in element in of There might, be, the, there might yeah. be that element of if, it, too it, cultivated. Just and it's—it's uh, it's just because you can. Maybe you really should you. Like, <laughs> 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 um, oh, look, I've, it's a thing. I've always had a thing. And, and um, at the Geelong Botanic Gardens, the staff knew I had this thing about variegation. And I've come to work one Monday morning and all these variegated plants were planted out in front of my office. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, that's sort of bullying. <laughs> <laughs> that's workplace harassment. <laughs> They've won though, because <laughs> you've got Smoky now. <laughs> <laughs> we've got, we smoky. So it's looking, it's, it has many of the attributes. Uh, and I think I just have to accept it.
1: But from the sound of it, it can't be a terribly strong variegation.
2: No, well, it's, if it's, it's, it's
1: white it's on grey, well,
2: it's a, it's a funny thing because the, the variegation is actually a little bit yellow, but, but it appears grey. It, it appears, appears grey at a distance. At a distance yeah. yeah, it appears silvery at a distance. Okay. So it. it, 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 it and it must just be how the two colours sort of vibrate against each other. Yeah, right. Um, but I mean, and it looks uniform. It doesn't even look like it's it's got a variegation at a distance. Okay. But up close, it is clearly a variegated plant. Right. You know, I saw it on the on the, um, the, the guys went out to Karanga, um to. I mean, we've been looking at grey foliage plants for a long time. Oh, All right. Um, You know, we've walked around the grey garden at the Melbourne Gardens and through the Australian Garden. We've been given this plant list a a, a lot of thought for a a good number of weeks. Yes, right. Um, And the guys went out to Karanga Nursery to have a look at their their lines of grey plants and they saw something growing in the display garden that they thought was a grey plant. walked up to it, and indeed it was this variegated Westringia smoky. Okay. And they brought it in, as a pot of it, and I said, you've got to be kidding, don't you? <laughs> What's this? What are you talking about? And I said, no, 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 just trust me I dear. can see why. I'm just looking at pictures of it on the internet And it looks now. great. And from
3: a distance, I can see it looks like variegated spinescence. It looks like Rigadia spinescence. It like it
2: <laughs> and it's not palatable. It's the right height. It's got the right colour. It's just tough as boots. It'll, it'll be matched to the prevailing conditions. It's not weedy. You know, it's actually ticking a good number of these criteria. You've
3: got to go with an empirical yeah, set of right. so it it is, Yeah, that's right. It's, yeah. About, it's about objectivity, not subjectivity. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we
1: might get you converted yet. I don't, think so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so.
2: But I think we're about to endorse um, four and a half thousand of this thing. Okay. It's, look, it's, it's front runner at this, yes. at this stage. Yes. Um, Zaira literalis. Um, we're thinking it's pretty solid, but it's not quite a silver. Okay. Um, but at least it's a species. Um, oh, but dude. in the process, in the process, we've been looking at a whole bunch of, um, you know, Rigodias. There's some really nice uh, grey foliage, Leptospermums, Leptosperm ceresium, a bunch of Eremophilas, but they were probably a little bit too, out uh, of conditions were a little bit too wet and too cold. Mm-hmm. But there's some lovely grey foliage to We looked at a range of uh, grey foliage acacias. Uh, and there's a really nice thing called acacia redolens, which has got a really nice habit, more a sort of a dull dull grey okay. than a, than a, a, a silver a grey, silver, not, not all yeah. that reflective. But we looked at a suite of um, acacias, we looked at a bunch of grevilleas, grey foliage grevilleas, um, uh, we also looked at grasses. You know, some of the coastal forms of Poa poiformis. Oh, oh yeah. really yes. Oh, I've got some of that in my garden. The, the, the blue. Beautiful. One, yeah, lovely. the blue form. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It is a gorgeous thing, and, and also some Lamandra, Rubiginosa, Confertifolia forms that are really quite grey. Okay. Um, so we looked at all manner of... How of, did the, of those strappy ones, they don't sound like
3: they were going to fit the
2: brief. But they not, not exactly, but they could have. Because mm. the, the, the circles are actually reflecting Triodia hummocks in, in okay. I, Arid Inland Australia. So these circles of, of porcupine grasses or triodia oh, okay. grasses. You know, almost perfectly spherical yep. um, hummocks of, of grasses. So they're actually... In the, you know, a design sense, they're reflecting the, the hummocks mm. of inland Australia. So a grass just, could work. Well, I was thinking of, do you know
3: the Conostylis? Mm,
2: Conostylis was on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Because very silver,
3: but I would have thought not quite as shapely enough.
2: Uh, not, potentially not. Mm. There was some interesting lamandras, some lamandra Glauca, which mm. are really quite blue and reflective. Mm. Uh, so, so, yeah, we looked at all manner of things, and it's landed at Westringia Smoky, or its front runner. It's front-runner. It's front-runner at this point. Yes. It, so it's a Westringer fruticosa? Fruticosa, yeah. yeah we well, can fruticosa. call it that, if you like. We could. <laughs> <laughs> we could. It makes you feel better. <laughs> Look, it would, actually. <laughs> Thanks for the workshopping that. that makes me... So, yeah, but the staff are having a lot of fun at my expense. I bet they are. At this point yes. in
1: time. But the main thing is, um, it looks like you're going to be able to solve the
2: problem. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. But it, it, and another sort of lesson learnt is that um, expect the unexpected when it comes to plant selection, and stay open. Mm. So mm. you know, it, you don't it, sound it's that a, open. No, <laughs> I, look, I have to be. <laughs> but it, it is a lesson for me that that I, that was the last thing that I thought would have been uh, on the, on the selection, and it was one of the. In fact, it was the very last thing that came on the list. Yes, because it, it was just seen opportunistically. It's an example of. of um, how I mean, we make all make plant selections. Yes. Some and people we make
3: have biases. We all have biases, and but we also it depends on knowledge. Here's here's an example where a lot of knowledge is embedded in that decision. Yeah. Oh yes. A lot of decisions around planting plants in home gardens are made in the last three feet as they walk up. Sure. And sure And right. there's the there's the there's the the continuum from yeah. one end of the to one spectrum to That's the other. That's right. Yeah. Um, That's right. And I think it's I think it's a great journey for people to go on from the three feet decision yep. yeah, yeah. to try and get to where you're at yep. with that decision is how do I, because that's going to be the
2: mark of success for plants in our landscape and gardens. So that's, that's right. The, and the, you can set some criteria that you want your plants to, to, mm. to, to meet.
1: I mean, so many people just walk into a nursery, spontaneously buy, yep. pop <laughs> it into wherever there's a, there's a spare there's a bit gap. of yep. a gap, yep. and then wonder...
3: Yeah, you know, that, maybe I've got black thumbs. Yeah, it well, always dies. Yeah,
1: it yeah. always dies, or it, it, one's growing all the way over the path, and I can't walk yeah. past. And the other one's not doing any good. Yep, and, yep. and and you don't get a, you also don't get a, a cohesion in the landscape. Mm, sure, you know people don't think the so bigger be, picture in their own gardens. Sure. So,
3: so here's a bit of advice for people going into the, you know looking at their gardens. If you're going to go to the garden centre, don't go there without any thought. Yeah. Maybe have one or two questions yep. From what colour do I want it to be, how big do I want it to be. Yep. Yep. Um, it does not have to be as, uh, well, no. go for it if you want to be, as, yeah, as scientific yeah. as, as you guys have been at Cranbourne, but have a couple of questions and you're going to make more informed plant choices.
1: Well, even if you just look at one garden bed at a time and maybe take a couple of photos mm. of that garden bed and and you know you can discuss the the soil and the aspect and how much sun it gets and whatever. Oh when you yep. go to the nursery and say, you know, I, I want this to somehow come together more. Hmm. What are some suggestions you yep. can make that would work in this bed? And 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 should I do a mass planting of something? Should I think about um, you know, whole clumps of different hmm. things? Yeah. And, yeah. and 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 then repeating. I always those have plantings. trouble with one plant.
3: You yeah. never know what yes. to do with one plant. Yeah, I've got well, to have yeah. I've got to have three as a minimum, yeah. otherwise I can't have any impact yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, uh, and that's about that putting yeah. together and making a making it look like
2: something. That's it's not right. Just, it's not just spots. That's it, right. And that's absolutely the philosophy at kramer Garden is to plant. We don't. It's rare for us to plant one of anything. Mm. So we plant in drifts. Yes, and, and you start to get a little bit more. Well, not a little bit more. A whole heap more. Visual impact when you've mm. got oh, a, a dr- drift yes. of something. It makes so much more sense. Yeah, like I, I could imagine a single Westringia Smoky would be, you know, okay, but to see to see them on mass is actually going to be really. It's going to be very powerful planting. Yeah. Mm. Just to sort of see big on mass um, of, of this. Yeah, really it's going to
3: it's going bring that. Well, the the designer's vision to life. Yes, you know, that's yeah. what
2: that's what it's doing. Indeed, it's, <coughs> it's a mechanism to get. This great look Yep mm. So the, I guess the learning is Be open Don't be a completely closed book Try and park your biases <laughs> I'm, I'm just workshopping this for me yes, yeah. yes, yes, That's fine You'll walk out of here Feeling much better yeah, right. <laughs> A self-help variegated plant group <laughs> 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 Start uh, a Facebook group Yeah, change. that's right <laughs> Um, but yeah, have some parameters that you're selecting species against. I think it's a really mm. I think that's a really good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a really fascinating uh um, oh, e- exercise. I'm sure. Really yeah. A yeah.
1: really yeah, a brilliant exercise to have to work through.
2: Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Yeah. So Perfect. next time you go to Cranbourne. So we're starting works on the Red Sand Garden in the next couple of weeks, so we'll be removing uh the north line and all of the circles and sort of putting some fresh sand and mulching And I reckon there might be a... a a, a lag in being able to propagate the, the numbers up, so mm-hmm. um, it'll be. It, it, and we're potentially looking at some sort of art installation in there, oh, whilst the okay. garden is fellow, which is um, which it'll be bit, for a year or two. Oh, look, we're I'd thinking. Ideally, we plant it autumn be that long, would autumn it? next year. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, forty thousand. You say forty thousand. No, four, four, four and a half. half. Yeah, yeah, in that order, depending mm. on how, how okay. tight we plant. The nice thing about wisteria is that they that they do have that lateral growth, mm. particularly that form. Um, and we'll probably only we'll plant at maybe 75 mm. m- m- metre centres, so mm. the number will probably be a little lower than that, actually. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay. And they're quick, so... And they're quick, it'll happen. Yeah, they're yep. quick. Yep, yep. yep. So, yeah. You know.
1: While we're talking about plantings, um, and we've only got a few minutes, I might add, but I, I wanted to get back to... Um, you mentioned in, in passing about um, about one part of the garden where everything is planted in rows.
2: Oh, yes, the cultivar garden. The cultivar garden.
1: Um, I'm wondering um, whether you've found um, a problem with it by having the same species in a whole row, whether it's a bit too much of a monoculture and you uh, potentially have more problems with pests and diseases?
2: Oh, look, I think so. That's right. I think when you start to... um, So planting rows and hedges are problematic, particularly if we don't have uniform growing conditions all the way through. So what we've had to do in the cultivar garden is select things which are really quite tolerant of a range of conditions, so selecting things with a wide range of environmental tolerances. Um, So we've selected pretty much bulletproof things for the cultivar garden. But that's been a bit of trial and error. We've had some some, really interesting learnings and some failures along the way with with, um, lack of uniformity... Uh, w- w- just coming back to the circles for a minute, one of the, the species that we were thinking was Melaleuca incarna, and there's a really nice dwarf form of Melaleuca Um But there's a cat- there's a webbing ca- mm. caterpillar oh, right. that, yep. that will, will attack an individual plant, and they're almost like a, a preferred host plant for the for, for this webbing caterpillar. And we knocked it out in from the from the selection based on, you know, big monocultures. Mm. Yes. It'll spread, it'll, through, it'll, it'll spread, spread, spread through it yes. and, and potentially be, you know, quite compromised by yes, yes. just not being resilient plantings. Yes. So, um, yes, but that's right. You start to grow things en masse and, mm. you know, there's a lot of host mm. um, for for pests and diseases and insects, yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's
1: so many aspects to think about in the planning. Yeah, there is. You know, people go in and see a beautiful garden, but they just have no concept of the the work involved. The the rigour that
2: that sits
3: behind it. You've got your... The criteria are so much more, the, the observation of it. Like if, uh, my garden, if, if I get a hedge that dies, oh, well, it's only it's me looking out. at it. You've got, <laughs> you've got tribes of people coming that's through. Right. Yes. Well, we're,
2: you know, our, our stretch target is that we're the exemplar native plant garden mm. in, in Australia. That's, that's what we're aiming for. Well, um, exactly. You
1: know. uh, and, and you've got so many international visitors coming yep. too. It's, yes, yeah. exactly. Yep. Just very quickly, Tim, do you have to take into consideration any of this with any of the plants at PMA that you want to put up for...
3: Yeah, of course. I, I think we have to look at all aspects. Mm. Of, there's, and of So I talked before about how a, a, a breeder might have hundreds, thousands of plants in their roster before they select one. Yep. There's also a world... And a, and a plethora of plants that we could select to list as well. But mm. we have a set of criteria around whether it's weedy, whether it's got climate tolerance across the country, you know, potentially future climate tolerance, yep. and also whether it's commercial. You know, yep. th- th- all those factors have to be brought into it. Exactly. So, yeah, there's, they're, and they're, they're a different set of criteria to, to the Worcestershire Smoky, but they are sure. there. But they are there. They, they, are there. they have to be there. They have to be there. Yes. And it's, I think it's, it's irresponsible for... um, someone promoting plants to promote something that's going to be a known problem. If it's got a a known issue, we shouldn't be doing it, and we aren't.
1: Exactly. Mm. Brilliant. We've run out of time for yet another week. We've had some fascinating discussions this morning. By Golly, I could go on for another two hours, but uh, I think we do have to. There's gardening to do. There's gardening gardening to do. There's there's gardens to visit coming up. I mean, spring is really, you know, we're on the cusp of it, and so people get out there and enjoy it. A big thank you to the team. A massive thank you to Robin, who's handled all the phones this morning. We will, of course, be back at 7.30 next week, and so until then, bye for now.